You know, our vision here at Hope Community Church is to reach the triangle and, and change the world. And we believe that sometimes you can do that and have a good time at the same time. And I'll give you an example of that. February 15th, it's a Friday night. It's the day after Valentine's. If you have not made Valentine's plan, we're taking over the Maiden Inn in downtown Cary. And we are going to have a Valentine's Gala. And it is to raise money for our galley grocery store down in southeast Raleigh. Uh, we may know that we started a grocery store in what's considered a food desert. And this helps us underwrite and keep the prices at a minimum. And so we're going to raise money for the grocery store. And we're also raising money for the Hope for Haiti Foundation. You can find out more information by going to shipoutreach.org. Uh, if you'll go there, you'll find out prices. It's going to be dinner. Uh, we're going to get dressed up a little nicer than we normally get dressed up. There's going to be live music and dancing. We're just going to have a blast. And Laura and I are going to be there. And again, it's for a great cause, and I hope you'll come out and celebrate with us as we make a difference in Southeast Raleigh and continue to make a difference in Haiti. Also, a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you that we're going to begin our first Spanish-speaking campus, and it's going to look a little different than you would probably think. Uh, we're not going to start out in a facility somewhere. It's actually going to start right here at the Raleigh campus, and it's going to take place beginning February 10th at the 1115 service on Sunday morning. Upstairs in the chapel, we can sit about 300 people. So the Spanish-speaking service will be going on there. Uh, the rest of us will be in the auditorium. Our kids will be together in Kid City, which gives us a unique opportunity to allow some of you to use your giftedness that you haven't used before. If you have the ability to speak English and Spanish, we're going to really be able to use you at the Raleigh campus, regardless of what campus you attend. We're going to need people in first impressions. We're going to especially need translators uh, in Kid City who can help out if we have an issue there. I think it's going to be incredible because we're going to re reach and impact the community around the Raleigh campus like never before. There's going to be a soft launch on Sunday, February the 3rd at 11.15 upstairs at the chapel at the Raleigh campus. If you want to be a part of that and find out more information, that would be a great time to be there. I believe that God is going to move in an amazing way. We have an incredible pastor who's going to be leading this ministry for us, and he's literally going to be teaching my messages in Spanish, and I don't know what that's going to translate like, but we're going to, we're going to find out how that goes, but we're going to have a great time. Now, this weekend, we've come to the fourth week of our series on the seven deadly sins, and as all sins are deadly, Paul says the wages of sin are death, but these are sins that we tend to tolerate in our lives. But yet when we tolerate them and almost accept them in our lives, what happens is it prevents us from being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and experiencing the God life that God uh, made to have his son die to make possible for us to live. So we're talking about, we have to deal with these things. We have, we have to come to grips with these sins in our life. And this week we've come to the sin of wrath, or often we think of it as anger. And there are a lot of different expressions that describe us when we're angry. You might say, I am so livid, right? You ever said that? Or I'm ticked off, or I'm a redneck from Durham. So I, I'm like, I am so angry right now. If you spit on me, I would fry. You know, I, I mean, we all have different expressions, but all of these expressions, we think about anger, it describes a very, very complex emotion, but it's an emotion that's a part of all of our lives. And the reason that anger is an emotion that's a part of our lives is because anger is a God-given emotion. In fact, there are two words in the Bible given that are translated anger. The first one means to grow hot, but the other one's what interests me. It means pregnant nostrils. Literally, that's what the word means, pregnant nostrils. And it carries with it the idea that sometimes we get so angry, you know, our, just, our nostrils flare, right? But we all have different ways that we deal with our anger. In fact, I came up with a few that I think describes how we, how we process and deal with our anger. For example, toxic waste. 
You know, you take toxic waste, you bury it, they tell you it's safe, you're never going to have to, you're never going to hear from it again, but somehow it leaks into the water system and everybody starts getting sick. And the same way, I think a lot of Christians, you know, we bury our anger, right? And we convince ourselves that it's done, that it's over with, that we won't have to deal with it anymore. We've processed it, but you know what happens if you don't really take care of it? Eventually it comes to the surface and it will begin to affect your attitude and it will impact your relationships. It will even impact our faith, our relationship with God. And so maybe toxic waste, that describes how you deal with anger. I'm just gonna suppress it. But let me tell you what happens when you suppress anger. It always turns into depression. I can guarantee you that every time. But maybe toxic waste, that describes you. Maybe your response, the way you deal with anger is more like a volcano. I mean, on the surface, you're like, you're, you're, you're cool, calm, and collected, but down inside, you are just rumbling, right? And it's not your stomach, you know what I'm saying? You are rumbling, and you're the guy that gets up one day, you're the lady that gets up one day and says, I have been taking this from my boss for years, and I'm not going to take it any longer. And so you storm into their office, and, and you give them a piece of your mind that you can't afford uh, to lose, and you spew hot lava and volcanic ash all over the place, and when you walk out, I mean, there's nothing but charred remains. By the way, people who respond to anger by volcano, uh, the volcano approach, this is what I've learned about them. They never apologize. They blow up, the relationship's dead, they move on. They just leave it in their wake. But that may describe you. For some of you, the word iceberg would fit. Say somebody makes you upset, they, they make you angry, you just give them the cold shoulder. Ladies, you're bad about this, just so you know. Your husband makes you angry. What, you know what we say? Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. So you go in the bedroom and shut the door and lock it. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. We know better. We're, I mean, we're dumb, but we're not that dumb, right? But that's the way you deal with it. You know, you give the cold shoulder. You ice people out. Here's one microwave. This is one of my favorites. This is where you can be in a conversation when everything's laughing, everybody's laughing, you know, everything's going fine, and then you make one little comment. You say one little thing. And it's as if they push time, cook, three, two, one, bam, they explode. They're all over your face and they walk away and like, what just happened? What just happened? But I'm telling you, we all have different ways that we deal with and display our emotion. And it's because, as I said, uh, our anger. And it's because it is a very, very, very complex, complex emotion. Paul wrote a letter to a group of Christians in Ephesus. Don't know a lot about the church, but I know that they have some relational problems. Because Paul had all kinds of things to talk to them about. And one of the things he had to talk to them about was anger. In fact, he wrote in, in, in a letter that eventually became the book of Ephesians in our Bible. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, in your anger. If you have the New American Standard translation, it says, be angry. Be angry. So that tells us right away that, you know, uh, if the Bible says be angry, it can't always be wrong. If the Bible says be angry or in your anger do not sin, then it can't always be a sin. In fact, when you really think about it, anger is a neutral emotion. It's kind of like a crowbar. See, a crowbar can be a really, really good thing if you've got a window stuck in your house and you need to get it up. It's a good thing. But a crowbar is a bad thing if you decide you want to use it to break into somebody else's home. See, and it's kind of the same way with anger. I can use anger in a negative, destructive way, or I can use anger in a positive, constructive way. Let me give you an example of constructive anger. Let's say you're a student, you have to take a college class. You're like, I can't believe I have to take this to graduate. It's a stupid class, it's so easy. So you kind of, you know, you don't really give it a whole lot of attention. In fact, maybe you skip some of the classes and you don't do a couple of projects and you end up failing the class. 
And you get really angry and say, wow, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. I will never make that mistake again. That would be, that would be constructive anger. Or maybe you're a salesperson. You're setting all kinds of record in your company, and you're getting all kinds of new accounts, and you're making more money than ever, and you get just a little lazy. You slack off a little bit, probably playing more golf than you should. And then some kid comes along at some competitor, and he takes your biggest account away. So you get angry. You get mad at yourself. You acknowledge that you've been lazy, that you made a mistake, that you're never going to make that mistake again. You're going to work harder. That would be another example of constructive anger. Like, I, that's not acceptable behavior. I'm going to be better than that. I'm going to do better than that. That's good anger. But my point is simply this. I don't want you to walk out of any of our campuses this weekend thinking that you should never get angry. And I say that because sometimes as Christians, we think that once we respond to the gospel and realize that God gave us a savior and we accepted the savior, Jesus Christ, and our sins are forgiven, we believe that from there on out, it's all about love, all about joy, all about peace, all about mercy, all about forgiveness. We're never to be negative. We're never to be confrontational. We're just going to hold hands and sing kumbaya. You know what I mean? That's what a lot of people think. The, and I wish the Christian life was like that. That would fit me much better. Have you guys ever taken strength finder tests? My number two strength is harmony. That means I want everybody to get along. Me and Rodney King, we have the same thing. Can't we all just get along, right? I mean, can't we just get along, right? I would love that, but see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches there are some occasions when anger is the appropriate response. I mean, you read the Bible and you discover that God got angry. The anger of the Lord is mentioned 18 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned numerous times in the New Testament. You go to Proverbs chapter 6 and it says, there are six things that God hates. Seven are detestable to him. And it's a list of things. And in fact, I couldn't help but watch the news this week and, and uh, be reminded, you know, one of them is his hands that shed innocent blood. And I don't want to get, I don't, I don't want to get everybody all riled up. But I would say that uh, babies that are being aborted, as later as they're allowing them to be aborted in New York, would be kind of innocent blood. I mean, I'll be honest with you, right? That's the kind of stuff God absolutely, you know what? That's the kind of stuff that makes God really, really angry. Jesus got angry. Do you remember when they tried to turn the temple into a Walmart? Jesus didn't walk out and say, guys, you're making my heart really sad. He didn't say that. He flipped the tables over. He ran them out. He got a whip. He ran them out of the temple. I mean, he was angry. He was ticked off. He was livid. Jesus was mad about the situation. So there are times, appropriate times, to get angry. But notice Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. The New American Standard, be angry, but do not sin. So it's okay to be angry, but you can't sin. You can be angry, but there are boundaries. There's restrictions that come with this emotion of anger. Now, as I said earlier, anger is a neutral emotion. But understand, anytime we get angry, we're on a very, very slippery slope because it could very easily lead us to sin. So Paul says, I'm reminding you, it's okay to be angry. God gave you that emotion, but it's not okay to sin. By the way, one of the things I've learned about anger is that when you really think about it, and if you've done much counseling or talked to many friends, often anger is a secondary emotion. In other words, it isn't usually the first emotion that we feel. Often it may be even the second or third emotion. You can see that we saw last week in, in the life of Joseph. Remember his dad, Jacob? Jacob had 12 sons. I'm sure he loved all the boys, right? But there was one son in particular we saw that was the apple of his eye. That was Joseph. 
and he loved them so much. You know, he gave them preferential treatment. He, made, he, gave them, he gave them the ornate robe, the coat of many colors. And when that happened, it's like, you know, that was the straw that broke the back, right? I mean, they, the, the boys had had it, right? And they're hurt. We get that. And they feel rejected and they, and they feel jealous of Joseph. We totally understand that. But instead of going to dad and dealing with their emotions, what do they do? They get angry. They go right over the real issue and they get angry. And if you know the story, they put Joseph in a pit and eventually sell him into slavery. But I, as I thought about the story of Joseph, that's what we do all the time. We don't deal with the real issues. We just get angry. You know why? Because it's much, much easier for us to get angry than it is for us to deal with real issues. I'll give you an example. A husband calls his wife from work and says, honey, I'm sorry. I knew I, I know I told you I'd be home at five, but some things came up. I'm not going to be home till six. I know, hold dinner till six. I know the kids are going to be starving and cranky, but I promise to be there at six. So the wife at six o'clock has the dinner on the table. He's not there. 6.30, he's not there. Seven o'clock, he's not there. No text, no phone call. And all of a sudden, you know what she's thinking? I don't feel like a priority. I don't feel like I'm important to my husband. Finally, about 7.30, he walks through the door. But instead of expressing her real feelings, honey, you could have at least called. I don't feel important. We don't feel like a priority. It feels like your job is more important than we are. She just, instead of doing that, she unloads on him, like with the oozes, like, bah, 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 bah. You're always late. You're, you're only concerned about yourself. You don't really care about us. See, it's, it's, a, it's a second, sometimes third emotion. So that, this is the question I got to ask you. What's going on in your life, your life that you're not dealing with? What are you angry about? But it's because you're not dealing with the real issue, see? Now, a good Christian counselor can help you. Listen, I'm not even a good counselor, and I can, I can figure that out in about five minutes. If we talk, what's really going on in your life? But you've got to figure that out, because you're going to see in this passage, Paul says, you can be angry. But you got to be really, really, really careful with this emotion because if you're not really, really careful with this emotion, it will lead you to a place that you don't want to be. And then Paul gives us that great insight in verse 26 that helps us make sure that our anger doesn't control us. He goes on to say, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I think what Paul is simply saying is this, you've got to deal, to make sure you don't sin, you've got to deal with your anger in a timely manner. Yes, it's okay to be angry because the reality is you've been hurt. Your child disobeyed you. You're angry. Your husband, your wife cheated on you. You're angry. It's okay to be angry. You've been hurt. But it's not okay to carry your hurt, to carry your anger around so long that it begins to affect your actions and it begins to affect your attitude and it begins to affect the words that come out of your mouth. So Paul says to avoid that, You've got to figure out in your life, as you're working through this emotion of anger, how do you deal with it as soon as possible? And he says, I recommend you do it before the sun sets. Now, I don't know that he meant that literally. Because if he meant that literally, I think the great state of Alaska would be using that as a travel slogan. Come to Alaska where you can be angry all summer. See, because the sun doesn't set. I don't think that's what he means. I think he's saying, you got to deal with it in a timely manner. You got to process that anger. You got to deal with it sooner than later. Now, why is that so important to Paul? I think he knows. If we don't deal with it sooner than later, eventually, it's going to cause us to sin. In fact, let me tell you something. When we're angry, our sin potential goes through the roof. 
Because I promise you this, when you're angry, eventually it will cause you to do things and say things and decide things that later on you'll wish you could undo. You'll wish you could unsay. You'll wish you could undecide. But it's interesting, it doesn't stop there because see, sooner or later, our unresolved anger, it begins to spill over into other relationships in our life. You can count on it. You might be mad at this person, but if you don't deal with it before you're mad at this person and it begins to affect this, it happens every time. And so Paul says, listen, you can't do that. You can't do that. You got to stop that cycle. And the way to stop that cycle is you deal with your anger quickly. You deal with your anger in a timely manner. But then there's one more reason Paul says this is so crucial. And it's because if we don't deal quickly with our anger, guess what? We will eventually forget what made us angry. For example, if you do something to me and it really makes me angry, and I don't deal with it, say, by tonight, or tomorrow night, or by next week, or by next month, or by next year, what eventually happens? Eventually, my circumstances change. Eventually, my environment changes. Eventually, the scenery in my life changes. Eventually, I'm not around you anymore, see? Eventually, I'm not in that relationship anymore. Eventually, I'm in a different marriage. Eventually, I'm in a different job. But even though my circumstances have changed, if I haven't dealt with my anger, if I haven't resolved my anger, I will carry it with me everywhere I go. And I'm telling you, for that very reason, there's a lot of people sitting at all of our campuses this weekend. And if somebody were to walk up to you and say, wow, you okay? You seem angry. Do you know what your response would be? You would probably point to someone in your life right now. Yeah, I am so angry at my spouse. Or I'm angry at my child. Or I'm angry at my coworker. I'm angry at my boss. I'm angry at my neighbor. But the reality is your real issue lies in a relationship that you've forgotten about. Very possible lies in a relationship uh, with someone that's no longer in your life, but because the sun has set so many times in your life, you don't really even realize anymore. You know what? That's the real source of my anger. That's what the issues are in my life. And so you're still carrying that anger around, but see, you don't even know how to resolve it because you're not even sure where it's coming from. And I think a lot of us, we just operate naturally off of the assumption, you know what, just give me some time. All I need is some time. What do we say? Time heals all wounds. That's not true. I just need, you know what? I just need a change of scenery. If I can get some time, and if I can get some change, a change of scenery, I'm going to be okay. For example, if I could just get out of this marriage, I could be okay. If I could just find a new job, I'd be okay. If I could just get rid of this roommate and get a new roommate, then I would be okay. If I could just get a change of environment, then I would be fine. You know what that's like? That's like getting in a car accident and breaking your leg. So you climb out of the car and you're sitting on the side of the road and bones sticking out, the skin, you're bleeding. Paramedics finally show up and they're like, wow, what happened? Broke my leg. But if you'll just get me away from this accident site, I'll be okay. So they would never do that because they know wherever they take you, you're going to take that injury. You're going to take your hurt with you. Now, here's the problem. In the very same way, a 
A lot of you have left some accident sites in your past. And you've never dealt with them. I mean, it could go back to, as a child, your relationship with your mom or your relationship with your dad. You just never dealt with it. Or maybe an ex-spouse. You do understand there's a reason that first-time marriage is about 50% in a divorce. Second marriages, it's about 62%. Third marriages, it's about 71%. You see a trend? It's because you're taking the baggage that you don't deal with and you're bringing it into a relationship with a new person and then you pick up some more baggage and then you go on to the next and you got some more baggage. It could be an ex-boss. It could be a friend. You just never resolved it. So you thought, oh, now that I'm away from him, now that I'm away from her, now that I'm away from that environment, everything is going to be okay. Paul says, mm-mm. That's not the way it works. You have to actually deal with it. Because, see, if there's unresolved hurt and anger in your life, it's going to spill over into other areas of your life. It's going to spill over into other relationships. You can count on it. It, it really is like toxic waste. So the best thing you could do, the only thing you could do, This is it. As hard as it may be, is at some point, you got to forgive the person who hurt you. And Jesus made it very clear how you do that. He told the parable of the guy who was forgiven millions of dollars, and then he went out and had a friend who owed him $7 and had him thrown in jail. Right? And the master said, I'll put you in prison and turn you over to the torturers until you forgive him. You know what Jesus was saying? You got to cancel the debt. You know why I think he used that terminology? When somebody hurts us, there's this sense that they took something from us and they owe us. See, if someone abused you as a child, there's a sense they they stole my innocence. They took something from me. If your spouse cheated on you and divorced you, there's a sense they took the opportunity for me to have this marriage I'd always dreamed of from me. They owe me. They owe me. And so Jesus says, you got to get to the point where you say, you don't owe me. In fact, when you really think about it logically, there's nothing they could do to actually repay you. So Jesus says, you you, got to cancel the debt. You got to come to the conclusion, they don't owe me. Because I'm telling you, the worst thing you can do in your life is carry around unresolved anger from one relationship to another. Because even though the scenery may have changed, it doesn't mean the hurt's been healed. And only forgiveness. Only saying, you you don't know me. Begins the healing process. Now Paul tells us why this is so crucial in verse 27. Do not give the devil a foothold. And what he's saying is this, is when you open the door to anger, you, you give Satan entrance into your life. I hate mosquitoes. And that because of that, I constantly run around my house. Who left the door open? <laughs> because I'm afraid a mosquito will get in. Because if it gets in, I'm not going to go to bed. You know, me or the mosquito is going to die. It's going to be a showdown, right? Because about the minute you go to sleep, you know what happens. Mm-hmm. So literally, Laura will tell you, I will stand by the TV. I have a TV in the bedroom. I, I'm one of those bad people. I will stand by the TV with nothing on. I have clothes on. Nothing on. <laughs> but the light of the TV. Let me finish my statement. You, you guys are sick. 
I'm going to go past the colonial. I think Christians are over there. But anyway, uh, nothing on about the light of the TV with a, with, with a rolled up newspaper. Because I know eventually that mosquito's coming to the light, right? And I'm going to take him home. You know what I'm saying? I hate mosquitoes. I just absolutely hate them. The same way, this is what Satan says. There are times in our life we open the door to anger. And when anger shows up, I'm going to tell you, it runs with a rough crowd. A few years ago, there was a guy in our church, actually years ago, there was a guy in our church. And you could just tell he had an anger issue. There was just something in him that was seething. I'd been around him in a couple of situations where the way he reacted was like, whoa, that's just, it's not normal, right? And this was so long ago, this is when I was still working construction when I was starting the church. And I was working with Jeff, a guy who moved with me from California to start the church. And we actually were building an addition on this couple's house. And so even in that environment, I saw the anger, but that's, that's stressful in itself, right? But there was something there. So a couple of years ago, I wasn't surprised to turn on the news and see his picture that he had killed his wife out of anger. See? But that's what happens if you open that door. Do you know what else anger runs with? Runs with a friend maybe you've dealt with before? Revenge. You open the door to anger, revenge is going to show up every time. I mean, have you ever thought about how much time, how much energy, how much effort... We waste trying to get back at somebody that hurt us. You ever lay, you ever lay in bed at night and can't sleep and so your mind wanders about what you would do, how, how you would handle if you ever got in that situation where you could, you could get even with someone, right? Could be a coach, a parent, ex-spouse, somebody you dated, I don't know. We spend all that energy, all that emotional energy. The Bible says revenge is useless. In fact, let me tell you what the Bible teaches When I decide that I'm going to take revenge into my own hands, when I decide that I'm going to do that, when I'm going to take matters into my own hand, I actually short-circuit what God would like to do in the situation, maybe in that person's life. It's almost like, okay, God's God's like, okay, you want to deal with it, you deal with it. But now it's your problem. This is what Paul said in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, God's anger, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God's like, I got a plan. I got everything under control. But when you, when you take matters into your own hand, you short circuit what I want to do in this situation. See, But go back and look what it says in Ephesians 4.27. Look at this. Do not give the devil a foothold. That same word foothold means stronghold. This is what it means. It means that Satan moves into your life in such a way that he sets up a base of operation in your life. And from that base of operation, he can begin to impact other areas of your life, other relationships in your life. In other words, when you're angry and you don't deal with it, you just carry anger out, you are giving the devil an opportunity to do that. He doesn't take that from you. You give it to him. See? And this really isn't even sport, spiritual warfare. This is what you're saying. You're saying, hey, come on in. Come on in. Satan, happy, happy to have you. Feel free to set up shop and spread as much chaos in my relationships in my life if you want, right? So Paul says, listen, I know there are people that get on your case. I understand there are people that get under your skin. 
I understand what it's like to get bombarded and attacked. If anybody understood that, Paul did. But he says, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot allow the sun to set not even one time on unresolved anger. Do you know what that means? It means you got to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And if you have to forgive 10 times a day, you forgive 10 times a day, but you cannot run the risk of storing up anger because it will give the Satan a foothold that will eventually manifest itself. I'm telling you in areas, all kinds of areas in your life. So what do you do about your anger? Because this is what some of you are thinking. I'm not going to forgive because in your mind, forgive means reconciliation. Like if I forgive my ex, I got to go be friends with him. If I forgive my, the person that abused me, I have to, no, that's not what forgiveness means. It means that you're cutting the chain. It means that what they did to you no longer defines you. It means you canceled the debt. It means you set yourself free, right? So what do you do about your anger? Well, Paul, keep reading, Ephesians 4, 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be, here it is, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now here's the big question. How did God forgive you? Through Jesus, how did he forgive you? Totally and unconditionally. God forgave you through Jesus, saying, I know what you've done. I know what you're going to do. But I'm going to forgive you. See? And now Paul says, that's the way you guys need to operate. Let me give you some, leave you with some practical words that you can take home with you to deal with the feelings of anger. And I want you to just think about the person that's really under your skin right now. And maybe the person sitting beside you. I hope not. But uh, who in your life right now are you really having a problem with? Home, work, neighborhood. I want to give you five quick suggestions on how you can handle your anger with that person. Here's the first one. Affirm the relationship. I mean, if you're having problems at work with a boss or a fellow employee or whatever, sit down and say, I want you to understand, I value my job. I enjoy working here. This position means a lot to me. See, that's a good place to start. Affirm the relationship. If it's an interpersonal relationship, hey, by the way, I just want you to know, you mean a lot to me. I am so glad you're in my life. You know, this is one of those areas where you're so gifted, but you got to just begin by affirming the relationship. Here's the second thing. Negotiate, and this is sound a little cheesy, but I'll explain to you. Negotiate with I feel statements. See, we don't typically do that. Our response typically when we're angry is you always, you never, your mother, you know, I mean, it's those kinds of things, right? Had nothing to do with anything. It said, say something like this. You know what? What you did, I feel hurt. I feel hurt. I feel jealous. You know what? Right now, I feel used. I feel neglected. But see, it's going to force you to deal with the real issue and not just be angry. Here's the third one. Reduce the volume. Because if you raise your volume, they're going to raise their volume. And if you ratchet up the aggression, they're going to ratchet up the aggression. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. I'll never forget one Friday, I, um, I, I kind of have a problem. I do work seven days a week, and it's not that I want to. I'm just, I'm not, I'm like Chase's here. I'm not as smart as Chase. Chase probably can write a message in an hour, but it takes me, takes me all week to get ready for the weekend. And so I just kind of work every day. But that's okay. We're at the season of life. But Laura likes to do something on Friday afternoons. That's kind of our date times. But sometimes, because I have to talk to you people on the weekend, I, I don't feel like I'm ready. I can just go see a movie. I need to work, right? And, and she was trying to talk me. Oh, let's go have some fun. Let's do this. I snapped at her. And she tried to rationalize with me. And finally she stopped me. She said, you know what? You're not even in a position to hear what I'm trying to say to you right now. You need to go to your office and pray, and I will come and talk to you later. And I felt like a six-year-old, you know, sucking my thumb, you know. But you know what? Lord, all the rhetoric, right, took all the heat out of the situation. Reduced the volume. Here's the fourth one. Offer a resolution. Go into the, go into the relationship and, and, and say, listen, what can we do so we don't find ourselves in this situation again? What do we do so this doesn't happen again? I mean, can we get some counseling, you know? Or maybe in a marriage. You know, number one stress in a marriage is, is finances. And maybe it's like, hey, honey, should we, should we talk to somebody at church and figure out how to get on a budget and maybe get out of debt? I mean, it seems like it's all, we're always fighting about this. Do we need to plan better? Hey, honey, maybe every time we, get, every time we discuss this, pers- this, this topic, we, we fight. Should we invite a third party? And I remember when I used to do a lot of premarital counseling when the church was younger, I would have them go through the, a test that what was really important to them, least kind of important, not important at all. And I, I helped them see like what's really important to her is not that important to you. And then there's some things that like these are red flag areas. And I would say like you, you really probably shouldn't even discuss these without somebody there with you as you get started because you're not, you're not going to land this one, Right. So you you got to figure, how how do we not get into this situation again, right? But make an attempt to deal and address with the real issue. By the way, before you even have that conversation, you should have canceled the debt. So you want to walk into this conversation and say, hey, listen, before we even talk, I want you to know I'm not mad. And I'm I'm not here to get a pound of flesh. I've already forgiven you. So this is, wouldn't that change the tone of a conversation? I just want to know, how do we not get into this situation again? See, that changes, that changes everything. Now, what if you do that? And they're like, no, they still don't want to deal with it, right? You know what the Bible says? Shake the dust off your feet, get on with your life. You've done everything you can do from a biblical perspective. This is what Paul says in 12, 18, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, let me tell you something. This is just a fact. There's some people in your life you'll never be able to be at peace with. You know why? They have their own issues. So they can't even be at peace with themselves, much less at peace with somebody else. So biblically, you do everything you can. And if it's not resolved, you say, I've given it all I got, and I move on. And then here's the first one. Sometimes you just have to release the person. You have to let it go. And, and that could be a continuous thing. In fact, some of you, maybe for the next six weeks, you need to pray, God, release my mom. 
God, release my dad. I'm tired of thinking about this. I'm tired of being weighed down by this. God, God, for, hey, God, for, release my former teacher, coach. God, release that person I dated. I, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of being angry. Release them. And we need to do that because, see, we've been damaged. And we've been hurt. And we've been scarred. So we need to release it so we can start to heal. And I know what'll happen. You'll release it about 15 minutes later, you'll think about them. Right? This is what I literally have to do. Oh, yeah. I forgave that person. I canceled that debt. And an hour later, and they come back, oh, yeah, I canceled that debt. And eventually, I'm telling you, God has a way of doing amazing things in our minds. But healing only begins when we choose to forgive and we let it go. And you know what? And this makes me angry. Some of you will walk out of the, our buildings, our campuses, and you'll still be angry. You won't let it go. And you'll still be miserable. Healing only begins when you forgive. That's it. No magic formula. No fairy dust. Just forgive. But see, that's your call. That's your call. If you haven't taken the class Total Forgiveness, that might be a good class for you to take. It's starting up in the next few days, but you got, you got to get through this. If you're still mad at somebody and you've tried for 20 years to get over it, uh, you're in bondage. You're in bondage. We have some things here some processes you can go through here with some individuals that can help you get out of bondage, but you're in bondage and you need some help. Let us help you. Let us help you. Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word. We make it complicated. We make it complicated, but it's simple. And help us to understand forgiveness doesn't mean necessarily reconciliation. Sometimes it will, and that'd be great. It doesn't necessarily mean that a relationship can be restored to its original form. Sometimes the damage has been done. But it releases us from the anger. It breaks the chain to the past so we can move forward in the future with you. Help us to see that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.